Matt Schaff and Jared Smola of DraftSharks.com here to preview week 12 of fantasy football for you. And Jared, it's probably the strangest week of the entire season because we've got not one, but three Thursday games. We've got one Friday game this year. So uh, I don't know about anybody watching or listening. I'm going to have to remind myself to make sure that all those Friday players are set in my lineups and that I don't like miss out on somebody because I forgot that there's this Black Friday game. But we're here a little early. We're condensing everything. No waiver show yesterday. This is the preview. It's got some waivers mixed in. We'll talk some trade stuff. We'll talk a little bit about the Thursday games, which we usually lean away from on this preview pod just because of timing. And I think the biggest news for fantasy purposes, arguable, but Mark Andrews, it doesn't get a whole lot bigger than that. Missing the rest of the season for the Ravens, there's a slight chance that he makes it back for the playoffs, but certainly out for the rest of the regular season. So the question I think here is what his injury means for the rest of a Baltimore offense that's been pretty good all season, even if not doing quite as much on the passing side as we hoped heading in. Jared, the first name that immediately comes to fantasy people's minds when Mark Andrews goes down is Isaiah Likely. So why don't we start there? What's your... Outlook now, what's your thinking on Isaiah Likely for week 12 and beyond? Just to give people an idea of what Mark Andrews is leaving behind in his healthy games this season, so week two through week 10, Andrews accounted for 22.5% of the Ravens targets, 23.6% of the receptions, 27% of the receiving yards, 55% of the team's receiving touchdowns. Six of the 11 Lamar Jackson passing touchdowns this season have gone to Mark Andrews. So it's a huge hole he leaves behind, a lot of opportunity for these other guys. I do think you're going to see Baltimore shift back towards the run after they kind of opened the season run leaning. They'd been past leaning for the past month or so. I think they probably shift a bit more towards the run without their their top weapon. Isaiah likely is going to get the playing time, right? I mean, we've we've seen it this season already in week one without Mark Andrews, 76% route rate for Isaiah likely, pretty strong number. 89% of the routes this past game with you know Mark Andrews le- leaving on the first possession. But likely saw one target in that week one game and then two targets in the week two game. I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much we should be be factoring in last year at all, because first of all, it came with a different offensive coordinator. And second of all, the target competition was much weaker, right? I mean, that was one of the worst wide receiver cores in the NFL. They have Zay Flowers now. They have Odell Beckham, who I'm sure we'll talk about here, who's been coming on lately. So, I mean, likely is worth grabbing because he's going to be, on the field a bunch and because we saw him flash upside last year um, to me, he is not yet a top 12 fantasy option. He could get there with, you know, a a good performance or two, but he's not there yet for me. Yeah. Likely is definitely worth looking at on waiver wires this week. He is probably worth a claim if you just lost Mark Andrews or if you've been struggling at the position and are looking for an option. Do not expect him to immediately be a top 12 tight end. Can he get there? Sure. He certainly could do that because even if like if we talk about what he did last year with the big numbers that inflated everybody's perception of him. That was a small sample. What he's done this year, which is nothing in two games, one without Mark Andrews and one that he left early, that's a small sample. So we really don't know what to expect from Isaiah Likely so far. And if that's where you start things, then that's a healthy spot to be. The positives, we did see that ceiling that's possible last year. One of those games included Lamar Jackson. The other had Anthony Brown as the quarterback. But Demarcus Robinson was the top targeted wideout in each of those games. Demarcus Robinson and Charlie Kohler were the next two Ravens and targets in that season ending game where Isaiah likely saw a ton of opportunities. He's got no other career games of 50 or more receiving yards. So 
We just don't know about him. What we do know is this year, the Ravens have consistently run four wide receivers ahead of their second tight end in terms of weekly routes. Now, obviously, Isaiah likely is in for a huge boost in playing time. He's going to be the number one tight end going forward. But if he were a player that the Ravens were completely excited about, thought that they needed to get involved, he would be getting more already with Mark Andrews in the lineup than he has to this point. So he's one of the people that's going to help fill in. But John Harbaugh even alluded to it. They're going to need more guys. They're going to need the wide receivers. They're going to need everybody to pitch in to kind of fill in this void. And I think, you know, obviously the biggest relative bump comes to likely, but it's it's a positive for the potential volume for all of the wideouts as well. Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham, even Rashad Bateman, if you play in a deep league, you can maybe stash him and see if something happens, especially with Odell Beckham dealing with the shoulder injury. Just make sure that you don't expect too much from Isaiah Likely right away. Yeah, the four wide receivers thing is interesting too, because I know our, our buddy Hayden Winks at Underdog did some work. I think it was an off season or two ago looking at tight ends draw less targets and are just generally less involved, more wide receivers that are on the field, which makes sense, right? You, you ideally want your, you know, pass catching tight end out there, with just two wide outs and another tight end. Cause he's more likely to draw targets. So that that's a mark against Isaiah likely. I will add, he gets the chargers on Sunday night who are the worst tight end defense by our adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. So like I get it in deeper leagues. If you just lost Mark Andrews and you're deciding between, you know, Isaiah likely and Tyler Conklin, like, you know, likely is the play for sure. And, you know, the matchup helps him in that regard. Um, but yeah, Odell Beckham, awesome opportunity here. We got to see about the shoulder, but he had been coming on anyways. And now, you know, all these targets are left over. I think Zay Flowers is a big winner here too. I know he's kind of underwhelmed really lately, especially. And even, you know, for a lot of the season, I think he's, he's been just okay. But you, you do go back to that week one game that Mark Andrews missed. Zay Flowers caught nine of 10 targets in that game, you know, easily dominated targets. I think he was over a 40% target share in that game. And I think there's a chance, you know, he's, you know, mid twenties to like 30% target share going forward. Just Cause I think, you know, he is pretty clearly despite Beckham's good play recently. I think, you know, Zay Flowers is pretty clearly the best pass catcher on this team now. Yeah. I mean, Flowers' biggest fantasy issue has probably been fluctuating volume and losing Mark Andrews should help that volume. Doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the weekly leader going forward, but it's at least more likely now that Zay Flowers leads the team in targets in any given week. We might even be talking differently about Zay Flowers now if that long catch and run touchdown that he scored against Cincinnati had actually counted instead of being called back by a holding penalty. So he's certainly the upside guy in terms of uh, volume he's been getting so far and what he has showed us on the field. Beckham is enticing because he has played better and been more involved lately. We'll have to watch that shoulder this week. Like you said earlier, we should also expect a bit more Ravens rushing because we already know that they like to do that. We know that they can succeed with that. They've had Keaton Mitchell emerge lately. They, continue using Gus Edwards plenty. He continues to have more touchdown upside than pretty much any other running back that has his level of work share um, any given week. So all those guys get help. Isaiah likely is interesting and he could, could even be startable this week. If you're looking in that tight end 15 to 17, 18 range to me, Isaiah likely is basically equal to Kate Otten, both this week and the rest of the way. The difference between them is Kate Otten has been on the field full-time for the Bucs all season. We know he's going to be out there, but he's playing with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So his targets are going to be up and down every week just because he has better teammates on the field. I say likely does not have teammates that are that good on the field, does have a team that can run the ball better and is stepping into a new role. So we don't know what to expect from him yet. So it's like, 
Do I chase the unknown upside? Do I trust the guy that's been on the field more in what's been a decent pass offense? Yep. You can pick your favorite. It's okay to go either way. Yeah, exactly. I think we have likely not in ranked back to back in the week 12 rankings, but it's totally a case of, do you want the safer play with Kate Otten, who, you know, it's probably going to give you three to five catches, 30 to 50 yards somewhere in that range. Or Isaiah likely who, you know, could draw one target on Sunday night. He could also, you know, draw eight targets and go for 80 yards. So it's just, you know, do, do you want to, do you want the, the floor or do you want the ceiling play in Isaiah likely? You can check out our weekly waiver pickups article on DraftSharks.com now. We got more on both of those tight ends, as well as Odell Beckham and the Baltimore situation. We got other options across positions, of course, including a couple of quiet handcuff running back picks and a dynasty stash at the end of this one. Another big change in the AFC North this week is Pittsburgh firing Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator. So it's uh, undeniably a positive move for the Pittsburgh offense, Jared. I think the what we need to do is try to frame it properly. The, his offenses have stunk. Um, the play calling, the offensive design have probably fed into that. But Matt Canada didn't take an elite quarterback in Kenny Pickett and turn him into the Kenny Pickett that we've seen. So how do we frame this? What does this mean for the offense going forward? How bad was Matt Canada? This was the first time the Steelers fired a coach in season since 1941. <laughs> That's how bad Matt Canada was. So I, listen, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about the, these new these new co-OCs and you know who's going to be calm plays and all that. I also think it's tough for teams to make sweeping changes in season. So yeah, you know, I don't think there's a huge, huge impact here. I do think you know it's 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 addition by subtraction though, because Canada was that bad. It kind of you know it can't be worse for the Steelers' offense and the play going. It's probably probably going to be a bit better. The Steelers schedule is what I wanted to talk about here because Aaron, Aaron shots pointed this out on Twitter that the Steelers so far this season by DVOA have had the third toughest schedule of all, of all time, you know, since early since DVOA has, has been tracked, which is a long time point is they've had a 1981. So yeah, brutally tough schedule. I looked at that and then I started looking into our, um, adjusted fancy points allowed numbers. And by those numbers so far this season, the Steelers have had the single toughest quarterback schedule, the fourth toughest running back schedule, the second toughest wide receiver schedule, and the second toughest tight end schedule going forward. Now week 12 through 17, eighth easiest quarterback schedule, fifth easiest running back schedule, 13th easiest wide receiver schedule, 14th easiest tight end schedule. So I'm not saying go invest in Kenny Pickett, I don't even think Pat Fryermuth is going to be someone that we can probably rely on much going forward. But I think the wide receivers are in for an easier schedule, if nothing else. So that that can't hurt Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. I'm interested to see Pickens too if his usage changes at all. You know, with the new OC, if he you know runs a you know bigger variety of routes than what he's done in the past with Deontay Johnson on the field. But it's it's really these running backs that I'm most interested in because you have the good schedule. This running game has just been good really for the past four or five weeks. We've seen the Steelers lean toward the run, be a pretty run heavy offense. I think that's going to continue. So man, it's scary to say, but I really think, um, you know, I, I, I mean, Jalen Warren, I think anyone would agree. He's kind of like settling in as an RB two at this point, but I even think, I even think Najee Harris um, is going to be someone that's going to be helpful for fantasy teams down the stretch. Check our trade targets article and see if any Steelers made it and where they sit in the different sections of that article. I'm curious, you know, I think the running backs are, the leading unit of this offense because they rely less on the quarterback actually being good. I might be even a little bit more interested to see if we get any slight lean toward the pass versus the previous. 
and just kind of better usage. You know, you're talking about George Pickens's routes. If we get better efficiency, there's clearly talent in these wideouts. So I'm curious to see if this change can unlock some of that, not expecting huge bumps, not chasing after Deontay Johnson or George Pickens this week, but there would be holds for me. And I'm, I'm at least a little bit more hopeful now for their rest of way production than I was before this firing. For sure. The Packers offense is getting a little bit tougher to be hopeful for primarily because of all the injuries. First, we had Aaron Jones go down with a knee injury. It sounds like it's not as serious as maybe it could have been. He's listed week to week, not listed, but talked about as week to week. That almost definitely means he'll miss the Thursday game possible for week 13. I think you should be planning fantasy wise as though Aaron Jones is not going to be back for week 13. And Jared, it doesn't seem like it's a serious enough injury to really make it worth stashing somebody like Patrick Taylor or anybody else further down the depth chart than AJ Dillon. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Taylor is the next man up here because the Packers also lost Emmanuel Wilson to a shoulder injury in that game last week. Taylor had been on the the Patriots practice squad. I read that the the Packers called him at halftime of their game last week saying, you know, hey, hey, come back. We just lost a couple of running backs. We need you. So in the three games Aaron Jones missed earlier this season, you know, AJ Dillon dominated carries. He had 15. 11 and 20 carries in those three games, but he lost passing down snaps to Patrick Taylor. Dylan had just two total targets in those three games without Aaron Jones. It's funny too, because AJ Dylan is averaging 2.6 targets per game in his other seven games with Aaron Jones, but he has just two total targets in the three games without Aaron Jones. I mean, I, I think we can project him for like two to three targets on Thanksgiving, but I do think he's going to continue to lose some uh, maybe even the majority of the passing down snaps to Patrick Taylor. And then, you know, it's a it's a tough matchup for AJ Dillon on the ground. The Packers are pretty significant road underdog. So, I mean, Dillon sits just in RB3 territory in our rankings this week. I don't think you want to, you know, trust him or use him as anything more than that. So AJ Dillon is not going to eat on Thanksgiving. Luke Musgrave <laughs> is probably not going to play for a while. Lacerated kidney in that game, landed him in the hospital. He's okay. Sounds like he's likely headed for IR though, probably missing the next four games. So that leaves a hole in a passing game. That's been inconsistent to be fair. And Jaden Reed might be another hole after a game that was, I don't know, looked kind of breakouty for him. He popped up on Tuesday's injury report with a chest issue. So we're going to have to see exactly who's available for this week 12 matchup with Detroit. And I guess what that means for everybody going forward. If, if Jaden reads out, I mean, first of all, Luke Musgrave missing helps the yeah. target shares a bit. If Jaden Reed is also out, then uh, you might finally get a Christian Watson week. Jared. <laughs> Yeah, I was hoping to get Christian Watson at low ownership in tournaments, but if Reed's out, that's probably not going to happen. But I mean, so start with Musgrave here. First of all, I'm really excited to draft Luke Musgrave this coming offseason, hopefully at a pretty cheap price, because it's, it's been a frustrating rookie year. We know rookie tight ends generally struggle, but, they, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of Luke Musgrave because I have a lot of him in best ball. I've played him a lot in DFS. He's Jordan Love's just missed him on a lot of potential big plays or, you know, there was the one play where Luke Musgrave stumbled over his own feet and he probably it's just been a, a frustrating season. He, he could have scored a lot more fantasy points than he did. So I'm still high on Musgrave, like long term. He's probably a decent dynasty buy at this point now that he's hurt. Tucker Kraft, their other rookie tight end, is, is going to be the guy on Thanksgiving. Uh, Josiah DeGuara, who they also have at tight end, is hurt. He has not practiced yet this week. So it's, it's Tucker Kraft and Ben Sims. I know nothing about Ben Sims, but I think we can feel pretty confident that Tucker Kraft's going to run uh, the majority of the routes. I don't think he's in play in season long, but you know, someone to consider. He's uh, you know minimum priced on DraftKings if you're playing the Thanksgiving slate. Uh, we'll see about Jaden Reed. I saw uh, Matt LaFleur Fleur said he hurt his chest on Sunday. They didn't think it was a big deal, but then he showed up to the facility uh, yesterday and it 
was a bigger deal than they thought. So he he does seem like genu- genuinely iffy for this game. Watson and Dobbs would have to get more work if Reed sits. Uh, I think they probably already w- will with Musgrave out. It's a nice matchup too. The the Lions are one of the bigger pass funnel defenses. We see teams you know lean pass against them. And again, the Packers are big underdogs here, so I do think you should get pretty pretty nice passing volume from Green Bay. I think any active Packers receiver in this game is somebody that once you get down into like wide receiver four range, setting a flex yep. or even just picking an upside wide receiver three, they all can make sense. Just know that there's a wide range of outcomes. So when you ask me those questions Thursday morning, uh, you know, I, I'm basically picking a name out of a hat just like you are too. Christian Watson, 24th among receivers and expected PPR points over the last four weeks. A lot of deep shots, a lot of end zone targets. They're not connecting. Maybe they will continue not connecting because, you know, again, they're deep shots coming from Jordan Love, but um, the opportunity has at least been there for him. Yeah. Let's put the opportunity in air quotes because the expected sure. points algorithms do not know exactly what those passes look like. And if a guy is running deep and gets a ball thrown in his general vicinity, it's not exactly the same opportunity as MVS dropping a game winning touchdown. Rest away, by the way, like this might be the last week where you can comfortably, comfortably, relatively comfortably use somebody from the Packers passing game. Because beyond this, the only remaining positive quarterback matchup is Tampa Bay in week 15. They're at the Giants in week 14, which is a neutral spot scoring wise. They're at the Vikings in week 17. Another neutral spot. Jared, we've got a couple more games before then. So maybe Jordan Love will change my mind, but he's not currently somebody that I'm comfy betting on in a road spot in the final weeks, even if the defense isn't awesome like the Giants. So, I mean, it's one of those offenses that might put up points, but that it's going to be tough to feel good about using heading into those weeks. Yeah, I am curious to see how Love plays down the stretch here because the last three games, um, really looking at his production, even I was looking at PFF grades yesterday. He's been pretty good. He's in the top 10 in PFF passing grade over the last three weeks. So he's kind of turned it around. Um, We'll see if he continues that the rest of the way because you know the Packers obviously have a pretty big decision to make at quarterback this offseason. Justin Jefferson has been a weekly decision that has not gone toward putting him back on the field and one thing to know about him is that his health is more important than your fantasy team which is obviously true. If you are the person who messages or tweets at or whatever any player about your fantasy team you're an idiot. We have to wait and see. We don't know yet if Justin Jefferson is playing in week 12 but he's not currently in our week 12 rankings, so we're not expecting it. I think, Jared, even more than the question of whether you play him when he returns, because I think that this patient says that once he returns, you should go ahead and start him because he's probably pretty close to full strength. I think the bigger question is, should you trade Justin Jefferson right now as opposed to waiting for him? And to me, the answer of that really depends on your specific situation as well as your level of risk tolerance. Because if you are fighting to get into the playoffs, He's a pain for you right now, and it might be better to trade off his end of season upside for something that will actually get you to the playoffs instead of keeping him not making it and then watching your team score a bunch of playoff points without any matchups. Yeah, for sure. I mean, generally speaking, at this point, I would lean towards trading for Justin Jefferson. And I don't think he's going to play this week. Um, I, they have a bye the following week, but I do think he'll be back for oh, that be week 14. And I think, like you said, he should be pretty close to 100% at that point because the Vikings have obviously played this cautious, cautiously. And, you know, Josh Dobbs has continued to play well enough for Minnesota, where I think Jefferson probably will be, you know, somewhere around, you know, wide receiver five or so in our rankings the rest of the way. But it, it totally depends on your team situation because, like you were saying, 
I, I don't think he's going to play this week. There was a tweet from Adam Schefter that made it sound like Jefferson's probably going to be held out again. There's a quote from Kevin O'Connell saying, we want to continue to be cautious. We have this buy upcoming. We have five important games after that. It just It just sounds like they're going to hold them out one more week. So yeah, if you're a team that is on the fringe of the playoffs right now, I think assume you're not going to have Jefferson this week or next, and you probably should trade him to get, get some points the next couple of weeks. If you're a team that, you know, is in the top three in your league and is pretty safe for the playoffs, in that case, I'd be trading for Jefferson because I, I do think he could be a big time asset, you know, from, from week 14 on. Yep. I had one customer on discord earlier ask if they should trade Justin Jefferson for Mike Evans or Devonte Adams. I think Mike Evans makes plenty of sense. His buy is gone. Devonte Adams is a little bit iffier because his buy is still ahead, but he does have some mm-hmm. positive matchups. He's a higher floor option than Jefferson. Cause he doesn't have a hamstring injury. And then one other was Jamar chase who I, I don't know. <laughs> I'd be a little hesitant to make that one unless it's just like, I need somebody over the next two weeks. But even in that case, you might be able to get like Tyler Lockett plus something else as opposed to Jamar chase. And I don't know how much better Jamar chase is going to be than one of those Seattle wideouts the rest of the way, if he is going to. Yeah, I would, I would trade um, Jefferson for Mike Evans. I don't think I would trade him for Adams or chase right now. The Vikings backfield before we get out of Minnesota is interesting. Jared, we've got Ty Chandler who did play a solid role despite Alexander Madison, making it through the concussion protocol within a week, making it back for the game. What do you make of this backfield going forward? How are you treating it? Yeah, I mean, Madison played clearly ahead of Ty Chandler um, in that game against the Broncos, which surprised me a little after, you know, what we saw the previous week. So the snaps were 64% for Madison to 32% for Ty Chandler, 51% of the routes for Madison to just 20 for Ty Chandler. Madison won 18 to 10 in carries. Chandler did out target Madison four to two, but again, based on the routes, you know, Madison more than doubling up Chandler. I think, you know, Madison is the better target bet going forward, assuming this usage sticks. My, my big takeaway, though, is that the Vikings aren't going to play the Broncos again, who, you know, the defense has improved. The run defense is still one of the worst in the NFL. And, um, you know, I think that's what made this running game actually productive, um, you know, for, for one of the first times this season in that game last week. They're not going to get to play Denver again. I think it's going to you know, kind of go back to being an ineffective ground game. So I think Madison's like an okay running back three. Ty Chandler's like an okay RB4. Um, I don't think they're going to ascend beyond that without an injury to the other guy. Yeah, this backfield is not good. It's not so, it's not a situation where you should be chasing anybody. And I have seen some advice to chase somebody. For the season, the Vikings are tied for 25th in running back PPR points per game. If you take away everyone's running back receiving touchdowns, then Minnesota falls to a tie for 27th. There are only five teams in the league that have receiving touchdowns accounting for a higher percentage of their running back PPR scoring than the Vikings do. And only the Vikings, Giants, and Broncos have more running back receiving touchdowns than running back rushing touchdowns on the season. Why do I point out all that? Because we're not predicting running back receiving touchdowns. It's a decent spot for them to get those because Minnesota leans pass and has limited receivers when Justin Jefferson's out but you can't predict a receiving touchdown for Alexander Madison or Ty Chandler in any given game. So if that's inflating at all, this production that has still been disappointing, even with that, then it's just another mark against the Minnesota backfield. So if you have opportunities to sell either of these players for anything meaningful, go for it and don't chase either of them. Josh Dobbs gets all the rushing touchdowns for the Vikings anyway. So Josh Dobbs, Cortland Sutton and Gus Edwards continue to, 
break my brain with the rate at which they're scoring touchdowns this season. Kyler Murray is breaking defenses a little bit, no, not going crazy, but he has two games back from his December ACL tear fourth among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game on just one touchdown pass. And even that came from 48 yards out. So Jared, there's a yeah. couple of different ways that you could look at that. You can say, Kyler Murray's gotten lucky to score rushing touchdowns each of the past two weeks, and maybe he's about to crash because the passing hasn't come along with it. Or maybe the passing takes a little bit longer to work back into form because it's not just one guy making a play. It relies on all the different pieces that go into that. Mm -hmm. And maybe he's going to produce the same or even better going forward as the passing returns. So what do you make of Kyler Murray, his value both this week and looking ahead? Yeah, I think it's probably both. I do expect the passing to improve. I don't expect him to score a rushing touchdown every game. Murray has returned to two positive matchups against Atlanta and Houston. You look at his remaining schedule, the Eagles in week 17 are the only top 12 quarterback matchup he's going to face the rest of the way. He has neutral matchups against the Rams, Steelers, and Bears. He has a bad matchup against San Francisco. But, you know, point is the schedule is going to get tougher, at least from a passing perspective, than it's been so far. The fact that he is running, though, is huge, right? He has 13 carries for 84 rushing yards in his two games back. So even if the touchdowns stop coming, you know, the fact that he, he's doing that on the ground, I think is going to probably keep him, you know, right around, you know, fringe quarterback one territory for a lot of these games going forward. You obviously are going to want to sit him in that San Francisco game. But I think those other four games, you know, around his uh, week 14 bye week, I think Murray's going to be an okay, you know, low end quarterback one. Yeah, I think the two big negatives remaining on his schedule are that week 14 by which obviously leaves you needing another quarterback that week and then week 15 against San Francisco we'll see when we get there how much we want to start Kyler Murray in that game but maybe that's two spots where you don't want to use him I think the upside to that is Kyler Murray has been back for so little time you're probably not sitting on just Kyler Murray so you probably have another week to week option you probably have two quarterbacks on your roster I wonder about those games at Chicago and at Philly in the final two fantasy weeks, potential weather in both of those spots. Those are late December games in, you know, cities that could be cold, could be wet, whatever. We'll see when we get there. So I guess maybe that's reason to not necessarily take the numbers of the, the previous two weeks and say, Kyler Murray's my quarterback for sure the rest of the way but he definitely could be your primary quarterback for most of the remaining weeks. Yeah, I think that's the big takeaway here is you don't you don't want Kyler to be your only quarterback going forward, right? I think you want the option to kind of, you know, mix and match him with, with someone else, you know, based on these matchups the rest of the way. Kyler Murray has climbed inside the top 12 in our rest of way quarterback rankings. So you can check those to see who he has leaped over. You can see how he stacks up against your other quarterback options. You can also sort by those rest of season projections or rest of season upside in the free agent finder to see exactly how he stacks up against the guys already on your team, other guys on the waiver wire in your league. And then Jared, before we leave the Cardinals, what do we do with these pass catchers now that Kyler Murray's back to me? Trey McBride's the only guy that I'm truly interested in now. Yeah, McBride, I think, is locked in as like a top six tight end the rest of the way. We still have to see when Zach Ertz comes back, when Zach Ertz comes back. I There's been like little on him, so you know, who knows if he's even going to come back at this point. But if he does, you know, 
what he does to McBride's role. Hopefully he doesn't impact it much because McBride has been awesome. The usage has been awesome. The volume has been awesome. Um, so I think, yeah, he's definitely locked in Marquise Brown. I mean, geez, I don't, I don't think anyone's cost me. The only player who's probably cost me more money this season is T Higgins. Cause just the one week he got hurt, he probably cost me thousands of dollars that week. But outside of T Higgins, Marquise Brown just continues to, to crush me because I keep going back to him. Not only has the production been bad the last two weeks, but the volume hasn't even been there for Marquise Brown, which is super surprising because the first nine games of this season, he averaged 8.6 targets per game. You look at his games last year without DeAndre Hopkins, 9.6 targets per game. So I, I'm still willing to lean into that a bit and say these last two games are just sort of, you know, fluky, you know, small, small sample sized up. I do think Marquise Brown is still the top wide receiver here in Arizona. I, I would still be willing to trust Marquise Brown as a wide receiver three. You know, I was saying he was someone who could be a wide receiver two for us going forward. Once Kyler Murray got back, I'm, I'm you know, backing off that a little bit, but I, I still think wide receiver three is doable for, for Marquise Brown. Yeah, I'm not giving up on Marquise Brown. I think he's fine, but it's getting a bit late to target him in a trade or to say he's going to come back and really help me win a championship. I think what I'm hoping for is that he's a wide receiver three the rest of the way, but I also know that he could be wide receiver four or worse in a given week. You know, I think he's one where as there's more time back with Kyler Murray, things will get better. It's just that the upside maybe isn't quite as exciting right now as it seemed like two weeks ago. Brown has average target depths of 20.7 and 21 yards over the last two weeks. He was at 11.6 yards over the first nine weeks. And the the ADOT stuff in a single game can get thrown off by literally one deep shot. So like, I'm not saying they've stopped using him downfield, but I think part of the reason he's been so unproductive is the fact that you just, he hasn't connected on those deep balls there. And there's the one in Kyler's first game back where Brown was open for what would have been like a 30 yard touchdown and, and Kyler just overshot him. So again, it's just stuff like that. You know, if he catches that pass, we're talking about Marquise Brown a lot, definitely right now. So I'm, I'm still, again, I'm still willing to buy into him, even if I'm not as excited as I was, you know, two, two or three weeks ago. And of course, Murray did hit a 48 yard touchdown pass last week. And of course. it was not to Marquise Brown. It was to Rondell Moore. Um, yeah. The one target for Rondell Moore in that game made me think that we had last year's issue of when Michael Wilson's out, Rondell Moore gets stuck on the outside. So we have to wait until yeah. that's not the case. But that wasn't the case in this one. He was in the slot for his usual amount in the game. It was Greg Dorch playing roughly two thirds of his snaps outside and getting a bunch more targets than Rondale Moore. So to me, that's a bigger knock against Rondale Moore than it would be if Moore yeah. was playing outside in this game. Yeah, I, I kind of think it's over for Rondale Moore. I'm kind of kind of done with Rondale Moore. I think, just don't think it's going to happen for him when you're getting out targeted like that by by Greg Dorch. So we'll, we'll see if Michael Wilson is back this week. If not, I mean, I do think Dorch is a better fantasy play in week 12 than, than Rondale Moore. It sure looks like it. Calvin Ridley is a better play in week 12 than he looked like heading into week 11. But Jared, what do we make of that one? Both what happened there and of course, more importantly, what do we make of him going forward? Like the one thing that I think most people probably know now is that Calvin Ridley has produced way better when Zay Jones is in the lineup. And heading into that last game, I knew that, but it was the situation where you didn't want to overrate the small sample of games where like there shouldn't be some magic thing about Zay Jones being in the lineup that turns on Calvin Ridley's production. So I didn't want to overrate it for that game. Obviously, the more such games, the more positive games we get with both of those in the lineup, though, 
we have to factor it in. We do. I'm still not convinced it's a real thing, though. I mean, the the, the splits are crazy. You know, the, the with and without Zay Jones splits for Calvin Ridley. I mean, the targets go way up. He's at a 17% target share in games without Zay Jones, a 25% target share in games with Zay Jones, which just does not make sense. Ridley's also been you know more efficient, more productive with Zay, with Zay Jones on the field. I, I I looked into like his deployment too in those games like he's not playing in the slot or outside more that's been the same his average depth of target hasn't really changed in games with and without say jones i don't know what it is again i i'm still not sure it's actually a thing i think it might just be random chance that ridley's had these better games i mean last week was tennessee who is you know one of the better matchups for wide receivers especially outside wide receivers which calvin ridley is so like last week i think it was much more matchup than anything to do with zay jones but um it it was good to see ridley have another big game i still view him kind of the same going forward where he's probably going to have another big game or two but he's also not like the alpha in, in Jacksonville not all of a sudden where you know he's going to continue seeing you know th- these massive target shares and, and massive games so I still think he's like a you know I don't know fr- fringe wide receiver two wide receiver three who's probably going to again have some have some you know more spike games the rest of the way and we're still talking about four games that have included Zay Jones before yep. so now it's three that Calvin Ridley has done well one Calvin Ridley did poorly I mean, we had Zay Jones in week two against the Chiefs. Calvin Ridley got eight targets, caught two of those passes. So in a bad matchup, in a bad matchup. Again, I think right. the matchup you're probably, yeah. That was the lone bad matchup among the four. We've had Indy. You mentioned we had Tennessee and we had Buffalo in the other one. The Bills, I don't know, at one point were capable of playing good defense, but they haven't done a whole lot of that. And that game was also in England, which can also just change things because it's a whole different travel week than other yep. weeks. So I still don't want to overrate and say, if Zay Jones is playing, Calvin Ridley is a star. Um, but I also can't ignore it at this point after what he did last week. I think Calvin Ridley ultimately looks similar to Christian Kirk the rest of the way, as opposed yeah. to it being Kirk and then Ridley. The Jags-Bills game was the Bills' first game of the season without Trey White. So I think it's much more likely that the matchups than, than Zay Jones making Calvin Ridley better. And we'll see how much longer we have to make these excuses. Zach Charbonnet is getting his opportunity this week. And I think there are enough people excited about Zach Charbonnet getting an opportunity for it to be a buzzy moment. And for me, Jared, that makes this a week where I want to see what the market thinks of Charbonnet, how much it's expecting. And if I can just go ahead and sell him before we see a game of Zach Charbonnet as starter to either a running back needy manager in my league or the Ken Walker manager in my league. Yeah, well, I'm pretty excited to see Charbonnet in a big role. So, you know, I'm, I'm maybe someone you could you could sell him to. I mean, I, I totally get the point. I mean, first of all, we don't know how long Ken Walker is going to be out yet. You know, Pete Carroll is going to be no help there. I Honestly, I could see him back next week. I could see him missing, you know, three or four games. So that that's tough here. The schedule for Charbonnet is absolutely brutal. Rest of season, San Francisco, Dallas, San Francisco again, Philadelphia, one of the best run defenses in the NFL, Tennessee, tough run defense, and then the Steelers in week 17. So there is not a good matchup left on the schedule for the Seahawks running backs, regardless of who they are. I do think Charbonnet with Ken Ken Walker out is going to play an awesome role. I mean, he has already been playing in most of passing situations for Seattle, leading the running backs and pass routes. And I really think he's going to dominate carries because the other guys in this backfield are DJ Dallas, who's, you know, primarily a pass catcher. And then Kenny McIntosh, another rookie who, you know, his biggest calling card is as a pass catcher. So I think you're going to see Charbonnet get Ken Walker level of rushing volume. And then, you know, again, do most of the pass pass catching work as well. 
You should. There's definitely upside, and that that path to upside is, is part of why I would check. I would certainly need a good return. I'm not just giving him away for whatever I can get because I, you know, it's quite possible he produces. He looks similar to Rashad White in that we can't expect efficient rushing, but we should get plenty of opportunities. We've got receiving upside, yeah. and you know, whenever you're the featured back, you have a shot to fall into the end zone any given week. Yeah, I mean, with Charbonnet, it. it always depends on your roster. If you are a team that was already solid at running back and just, you know, found this new starter in Zach Charbonnet, I think now is definitely a good time to trade him, you know, for an upgrade at another position. Kyron Williams is also going to get an opportunity to play this week for the first time in a while coming off of IR. And Jared, here's how good the Rams running backs were while he was out. Daryl Henderson sits number two among all Rams running backs in touches for the season. He got dumped earlier this week. He has more receptions per game and receiving yards per game this season than even Kyron Williams does, but he's now yeah. unemployed. Royce Freeman is probably still a stronger RB2 than what the Rams had before Kyron Williams's injury. Obviously, they had Royce Freeman on the roster, but he's probably played better than they expected that he would. So I think we'll see more work for Royce Freeman than we did for other Rams running backs before Kyron Williams went down. But I mean, based on what we saw earlier this season, we should also expect Kyron Williams to take this backfield over immediately. Right? Yeah, I think so. The Henderson release was huge for me for two reasons. One, it tells us they feel good about Kyron Williams ankle. You know, I think if they were worried at all, they would have held on to Daryl Henderson. And then two, because Henderson had been the one doing the pass catching work for the Rams. So I think you know, Royce Freeman is a total zero in that department. So Henderson being gone tells me that Kyron Williams is going to, you know, at least at minimum step back into the, the pass catching role. And I do think he'll go back to leading in carries. We'll see if he dominates the way he did the first, um, you know, three, four games of the season, you know, post week one before he went down. But I mean, I think we're conservatively projecting Kyron Williams for week 12 and he still comes in as like a high end RB two. I think by next week he could be, you know, back in our top 10 running backs pretty much weekly. And this is an offense that has not been throwing the ball as well lately as it did earlier this season. So it might even lean a little heavier on the backfield for rushing and receiving uh, than it did before. So Kyron Williams, I'm glad to see him come back, especially for all my best ball teams. Tony Pollard, did he come back in week 11 or was that an outlier against the league's worst run defense? Jared, what do you think? I mean, Pollard just kind of produced how he should have, according to usage last week for one of the first times to see. I mean, he, he actually outproduced usage. He had 15 expected PPR points last week. He scored 18 actual PPR points. Prior to last week, he was averaging 17 expected PPR points per game, but only 12.5 actual PPR points per game. So, I mean, he had an efficient game against a bad Carolina run defense. I mean, I, I don't feel much different about him now than I did then. Actually, for me, the biggest takeaway from that game last week was that Dallas stayed past leaning against a run funnel Carolina defense. So that just tells me the Cowboys are going to throw the crap out of the ball the rest of the way, which isn't horrible for Pollard. He can be involved in the passing game. He could be more efficient as a runner, if, you know, teams are having to, you know, worry more about the pass, but like, I don't think you're going to go back to, you know, Pollard getting, you know, 20, 20 carries in any of these games the rest of the way. Yeah. Stayed pass leaning against a defense that's been um, a run funnel and on a day where the passing game wasn't doing a whole lot. They weren't like, all right, fine, let's just run the ball more. They were like, no, nah, we're just going to keep doing this and we'll take what it gives us. And it, it makes sense. Tony Pollard remains not very good. He's 25th on the season among qualifying running backs in rushing success rate behind Derrick Henry, Brian Robinson, Josh Jacobs, Kareem Hunt and A.J. Dillon, <laughs> among others. 
Tony Pollard is tied for 10th among running backs in targets, tied for sixth in catches, but 15th in receiving yards. And if you look at the five targets against the Panthers, you might you might think, nice, that's a, a rebound that we need in a category that will help, even if he's inefficient. He had four catches for 19 yards. Tony Pollard has not reached 20 receiving yards in, since week six against the Chargers. He has done so in just three of his 10 games for the season. He's averaging two receptions. 8.25 yards per game in four weeks since the bye, which followed that Chargers game. And he's had 12 carries in three of those four games. So he's just a limited workload guy, despite being in a backfield that he's controlling and he's not efficient. So it was nice that we got a touchdown. I don't think it signals anything as far as expecting more from him going forward. Yeah. I mean, the touchdowns are the thing that I think can propel him the rest of the way. I do think he could score, you know, four or five times the rest of the season just because this offense is so good because he's still the one, you know, getting most of those goal line carries. We'll see. I wouldn't, <laughs> I'd take the under on four touchdowns the rest of the way, but oh, sure. that's certainly his best path. Finally, we'll go for a streaming defense for week 13. And if you're wondering why we're looking ahead a week, I mean, we've mentioned in recent weeks, Jared, the Dolphins, we mentioned the Lions. Miami is now rostered in 73% of sleeper leagues. You could have found them much more available just a week ago. The Lions, 51%, even though they're coming off a disappointing showing against Chicago last week, they're still on a roster in most places. So what little alone defense do you like a week ahead for week 13? This exercise is kind of easy at this point. It's just like find the crappy quarterback and you know grab the defense playing them. So you have the Rams next week playing Cleveland. We'll see whether it's... DTR or Joe Flacco or, you know, back to PJ Walker, regardless, it's going to be a bad quarterback. So I think the Rams are an okay start. And then um, I think I actually prefer Atlanta against the Jets, um, you know, whether it's Tim Boyle or Zach Wilson, I think they have Trevor Simeon too. I just uh, found out this morning. So again, it's, it's going to be a bad quarterback. And I think the reason I prefer Atlanta is because I just think that they're, the Browns will be able to go pretty run heavy against the Rams, I think, whereas the Jets, you know, might be, might be forced to throw it against Atlanta. It's actually one of the craziest things of this season to me is that the Jets are one of the pass heavier offenses in the NFL this season. Like they have a high neutral pass rate. They're above pass rate over expected, which makes zero sense to me. But if, if that continues, with Tim Boyle under center, then, uh, you know, these defenses facing the Jets are going to have huge upside. I wonder just how often they've actually been in neutral situations and whether that throws <laughs> those calculations off. Cause I mean, they've been trailing yeah. most of the yeah. time. So yeah. I like Tampa Bay, um, picking them up this week because they are just 18% rostered on sleeper, 29% on Yahoo. So there are plenty available. They've got Carolina in week 13, second best scoring matchup for fantasy defenses by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. They are at Atlanta the week after that fifth best scoring matchup. So you've got one that you can pick up, not just for week 13, but also week 14. Like that 376 neutral snaps for the jets this season. They are 60% pass in those, uh, on those snaps, which is eighth highest in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Make, make that course, make sense the, to me. <laughs> I spent a decent amount of the year with Brees Hall, you know, working him back slowly, but they've also had him back to full strength or whatever, close to full strength recently. It also means that they have been a little disappointed with what they got in Dalvin Cook after signing him. Check out the free agent finder, our updated rest away rankings, our updated dynasty rankings. If you're looking beyond this season and trying to improve your team for next year, we've got you covered on all fronts. We've got our trade targets for the week and we will have Jared's and Kevin's picks for the Thanksgiving Day DFS slate available on DraftSharks.com. We're here to help you win this week, this season, and beyond.